When I was in my early 20s, I jumped into a marriage with someone I thought I knew, but clearly didn't. Both of us made mistakes and were far from perfect, but the fact was, we were just toxic for each other. I had always been told that he was different and that he sensed things, and on occasion, saw things he couldn't explain. I didn't really know what to think about it, until I had my own experiences at his family's farm. After we were married, we moved into his childhood home. He had told me he saw things there, and had things happen he couldn't explain. Some of those things would scare him so much he used to sleep with his lights on. I wasn't sure why we were moving in if he had such terrifying experiences there, but the house was paid for and we didn't have a lot of financial history. It was a logical and easy thing to do. I started noticing small incidents after about a year of living there. There were times I knew I was alone, yet I had the distinct impression I was not. On a few occasions, I heard someone walking around in the back rooms as well as closing doors, but I chalked it up to the cat being rambunctious. One morning before I went to work, my stereo turned on by itself with the volume turned all the way up. It scared the bejesus out of me. I ran to turn it off and saw that it was unplugged. I didn't know what to do. I was already running late, so I grabbed my keys and went to work, as if nothing had happened. Two and a half years into our marriage, we started arguing a lot over ridiculous things. After one throwdown, he went outside to mow the lawn, and I started cleaning up the bathroom in our bedroom because I thought it would settle me down. I was wiping off the vanity, and it became cold in the room. This was odd because it was July in the South. It gets so hot here that it's a running joke that it's hotter than Hell's doorstep. So I thought maybe he turned down the AC and I went back to cleaning. All of a sudden, I heard the bedroom door open. I thought it was him coming back in to fight more about something else, so I was automatically pissed off. I heard someone walking, and when I looked up, I saw a reflection in the vanity mirror. It was not my husband. I stopped breathing. What I saw is something that I still cannot explain after many years. I saw a woman with shoulder-length brown hair walk past the bathroom door. She was pale, and I could not see her face. She kept her head down, I assumed because she didn't want me to see what she looked like. She was walking at a fast pace, so I didn't really see too many details except for the fact that she was stark naked. Then, I heard my closet door open and slam. At first, I thought some crazy lady had broken into my house, nude, and I didn't know what the hell to do. I gathered the little bit of courage that I could muster, carefully stepped out of the bathroom, and moved towards my closet. The doors were sliding doors, and they were still shaking a bit from the slam. I looked through the doors. They were kind of like shutters, so you could see through them. I saw the closet light flickering and empty hangers swinging. I hoped for the best and opened the door. A blast of cold air hit me. The closet light chain was swinging and the hangers were still slightly moving, but there was nothing there. I was trying to figure out what had just happened when my bedroom door flung open with no one in sight. That was all I could handle in one day, and I noped my happy butt right out of there as fast as I could. 
I went outside and waited until my husband was done with the lawn. When he saw me, he started to walk towards me. He was still angry, but his demeanor changed when he saw my face. I told him what had happened. He got his keys, he left for a bit, and then talked about what I saw. He never doubted me, due to his own experiences there when he was younger, but he told me that I couldn't let it push me around, and to either ignore it, or basically tell whatever it was to go away. I never saw anything again like that in the house, but strange things still happened occasionally, nothing major. A year later, we divorced and moved on. But I will never forget that experience for as long as I live. I don't know if she was attached to the property already, or if she followed one of us home. I don't know if she was even a spirit to begin with. All I do know is that she scared the hell out of me, whoever, whatever she was. Hi, I'm Jamie Murky. And I am a mystified Michael Tatum. Nice, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in reference to today's stuff, man. I am, oh, yeah. My, my headspace is just churning. My bet. With all kinds of crazy shit today because of the research I've been doing this past couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. Ooh, I cannot uh, wait. First, though, thank you, Carrie, for that story. Such a good story. Very good. Uh, immediately, I was like, naked lady in the closet. Uh, yeah, we need to read that. Yeah, that's a story that needs to be told. Right. Maybe Can she's born with it. Maybe. Maybe she's, she's... dead and naked. <laughs> 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 it makes me, think of, makes me think of The Shining. Oh, like yeah. The woman in the bathroom. Right. Freaky shit. That, that, that scene fucked mm-hmm. me up so much when I was a kid. It still yeah. gets to me. Probably, but yeah. It makes you wonder if it had anything like that energy when you're fighting, especially in a relationship that's doomed, right? Mm. What can be attracted to that or what can feed off of that? You yeah, know? it can feel stuff. It's like, it's, yeah, it comes to think, uh, when I, I come to think of the fact that for like 12 years or 10 years rather, uh, I lived in a house that. Wasn't there was no reason for it to be haunted. We did research on it, and there was nothing that we could find that had ever happened there that would suggest there was no tragic. The most tragic thing to happen at that house was me and my partner, and <laughs> <laughs> and yet, but shit happened, weird shit, right. and it would come come and go in little waves. Like a couple years would pass, nothing, and then there'd be like several months where like we'd both had experiences, and it was usually when we were in the middle of a big a fight. fight. Yeah. You know, of some kind. Like a week, one of those week-long fights where, like, you, somebody said something on Sunday and it's Wednesday and you're still not talking. Yeah, right. Um, and, and in that interval, shit would happen. Right. You know yeah. what? And that similar stuff around, because uh, I was married when I was in my early 20s and when I got divorced, you know, um, the, there was a weird energy there, too, that whenever we would fight, it weird stuff would happen as well. But I always just thought it was him. <laughs> I was like, something is clearly attached to him, and I have to get out. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Sorry, Your Honor. We're divorcing for irreconcilable differences. Um, he's haunted. He's haunted. <laughs> there is a shadow person attached to him, and I cannot. <laughs> yeah. No. He has a double life. Yeah. <laughs> he's seen someone else that I can't that see. Family curse. <laughs> I don't know. But I, this is, yeah, 
<laughs> it's getting personal now. Yeah, I don't right. know why that is. But. <laughs> but yeah, that was a great submission. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. It's a good, good intro to today's episode, which yes. is entitled what? Thief of Time. A Thief of Time, yes. A Thief of Time. A Thief, a thief, a thief of, time. of Time. That sounds right. Yeah, and that comes from, uh, that's the title of a book by Tony Hillerman, a famous author who's written uh, just a boatload of uh, detective stories that take place on uh, Navajo on Navajo land. It, like it's there's a lot of Native American lore woven into his stories. Um, yeah, and so it seemed great because today we're going to be talking about uh, some <gasps> stories where Native American folklore has a role to play. It does. A rather significant it does. one. But you're going to kick off things right. with with some of the folklore. Some folklore. Yes, and some. we've had some people asking for this, so this is our first leap into cryptids so these are just some cryptids a lot of them people know but just so that we're on the same page just to set the tone just to set the tone right because this is the story i'm going to do today which is going to kind of be the body of the episode literally is like a kitchen sink situation where every fucking possible thing that could happen everything in the paranormal Mm -hmm. literature like is covered in In this this one spot so first we have in our cryptids the Sasquatch. Sasquatch. The Squatch. The Squatch. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeti. Yeti. All of those. The abdominal um, snowman. It's mostly Bigfoot and Sasquatch. <laughs> uh, Yeti is Yeti's, Yeti's different. Thing. And it's in a different region True. as well. So True. I haven't gotten into True. the Yeti. But Sasquatch, okay, in North American folklore, Bigfoot or Sasquatch are said to be hairy, upright, walking, ape like creatures that dwell in the wilderness. And, most importantly, leave footprints. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of where they get their But they're footprints. Bigfoot, right? Bigfoot. They are strongly associated with the Pacific Northwest, particularly Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. And one-third of all reports, like all sightings, come from that region. Yeah. However, individuals claim to see the creatures all across North America. Over the years, these creatures have inspired numerous commercial ventures and hoaxes. The plural nouns of Bigfoots and Bigfeet are both acceptable. Oh, it's like octopi and octopuses. Yeah, <laughs> but not. Um, yeah, so Bigfoot or Bigfeet. Bigfoots or Bigfeet. Big Bigfoots. Okay. Yeah, I, it, it never, it's one of those things that neither seems right. Right, because they're usually just loud, one. It's like, it's like the name, it's like the planet. Is it Uranus or Uranus? Neither right. seems. It doesn't seem right. Neither seems successful. But I think it's because they're mostly seen singularly. You don't see like a, a herd of big feet. That's it's true. Just, it's just one big foot. So. One, one, one big foot. Yeah. Big foot footprints. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to love English. <laughs> you do. You do. Folklorists trace the figure of Bigfoot to a combination of factors and sources, including folklore surrounding the European wild man figure, mm-hmm. folk belief among Native mm-hmm. Americans and loggers, and a cultural increase in environmental concerns. A major, a majority of mainstream scientists have historically discounted the existence of Bigfoot, considering it to be a combination of folklore misidentification and hoax rather than living animals a minority though have expressed belief in the creature's existence people who claim to have seen it describe bigfoot as large muscular bipedal ape-like bipedal. creatures roughly six to nine feet tall that's fucking massive um, for our metric people it's 1.8 to 2.7 meters covered in hair described as black dark brown or dark 
reddish mm-hmm. ginger foot um, yeah. <laughs> the, enormous, the enormous footprints for which the creature are named are claimed to be as large as 24 inches or 60 centimeters long and 8 inches or 20 centimeters wide. Some footprint casts have also contained claw marks, making it likely, though, that they came from known animals such as bears, which have five toes and claws. Mm-hmm. So that is Sasquatch. 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 Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll be revisiting this. Good, good. Again. There's the chupacabra. Chupacabra. Okay. The chupacabra or chupacabras. 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 Chupacabra. It's a fun word to say. It is. It's uh, literally goat sucker from chupar to suck and cabra. Goat Mm. is a legendary creature in the folklore. It's Spanish, by the way. That's where that comes from, for those who didn't know. Um, (laughs) The more you know. It's in the folklore of parts of the Americas with its first purported sightings reported in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. In the United States. Yeah. The name comes from the animal's reported habit of attacking and drinking the blood of livestock, including goats. Of course, goats. Physical descriptions of how the creature of the creature vary. It is purportedly a heavy creature, the size of a small bear, with a row of spines reaching from the neck to the base of the tail. Eyewitness sightings have claimed in have been claimed in Puerto Rico and have since been reported as far north as Maine and as far south as Chile, and even being spotted outside the Americas in countries like Russia and the Philippines. But many of the reports have been disregarded as uncorroborated or lacking evidence. Sightings in northern Mexico and the southern United States have been verified as canids. Afflicted by mange, according to biologists and wildlife management officials, the chupacabra. Is an urban legend. Don't you love how like there's just there seems to be like just teams of people dedicated to telling people who live in the country and who mm-hmm. know a mangy dog when they see one like yeah. oh that's you just don't know what a dog every time is. I see a picture of one though it's like that's a dog with mange. Every time I see a picture that's evidence I've, every time I'm like I think most of the pictures probably come from city folk. Okay, because they look like dogs that's my that's my thing. I mean, I've no, I but you know, yeah. Do mangy dogs suck the blood out of goats? Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. okay. I'm the gonna first, learn something today. The first reported attack eventually attributed to the creatures occurring in March 1995 in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I, I do remember the chupacabra thing was really recent because mm-hmm. I remember when I was just out of high school it started and I'd never heard of these things yeah, before. Yeah. Uh, eight sheep were discovered dead, each with three puncture wounds in the chest area and completely drained of blood. A few months later in August, an eyewitness, Madeline Tolentino, reported seeing the creature in the Puerto Rican town of Canovanas Canovanas? Canovanas? when as many as 150 farm animals and pets were reportedly killed. In 1975, a similar killing in the small town of Moca were attributed to El Vampiro de Moca, the vampire of Moca. Initially, it was suspected that the killings were committed by a satanic cult. Later, more killings were reported around the island, and many farms reported loss of animal life. Each of the animals was reported to have had its body bled dry through a series of small circular incisions. Puerto Rican comedian and entrepreneur Silvero Perez is credited with coining the the term chupacabras soon after the first incidents were reported in the press. Shortly after the first reported incidents in Puerto Rico, other animal deaths were reported in other countries, such as the Dominican Republic, Argentina, 
Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Panama, Peru, Brazil, United States, and Every Mexico. Fucking yeah. Damn. South America a lot. And, and isn't that funny that it started with a joke? Like a comedian makes a joke. Let's, get, let's call it the goat sucker. Right. That's yeah. kind of what happened with the Mothman. Someone's like, some reporter was like, oh, that's that's hysterical. Let's call let's it Mothman because it sounds like Batman. And then here we are. Um... Okay, so a five-year investigation by Benjamin Radford, do- documented in his 2011 book, Tracking the Chupacabra, concluded that description given by original eyewitnesses in Puerto Rico was based on the creature Sill in the 1995 science fiction horror film Species. The alien creature Sill <laughs> is nearly identical to uh, the eyewitness uh, Tolentino, the woman that described it. Um, it's nearly identical to her account, and she had seen the movie before her report. It was a creature that looked like a chupacabra with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive, Tolentino reported. Radford revealed that Tolentino believed that the creatures and events she saw in species were happening in reality in Puerto Rico at the time. And therefore concluded that the most important chupacabra description cannot be trusted. This, Radford believes, seriously undermines the credibility of the chupacabra as a real animal. In addition, the reports of blood sucking by the chupacabra were never confirmed by a necropsy? 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 I think it's necropsy, yeah. Okay. The only... I have to sneeze. Uh, Think of a fish. Does that help? Yeah, it's gone. (laughs) The only way to conclude that the animal was drained of blood... It's the necropsy thing. An analysis by a veterinarian of 300 reported victims of the chupacabra found that they had not been bled dry. Radford Hmm. divided the chupacabra reports. Oh, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Oh, God. (laughs) Your sneeze is the least frightening thing in the world. It was was getting to me. It's like Tinkerbell. Excuse me. Glitter every just time, went everywhere. Every time you sneeze, a fairy gets its wings. That's right. Uh, okay, okay, where was I? <laughs> so Radford, they weren't, they, this, they weren't this, blood they dry. Weren't 300 blood ones dry. that were claimed were not actually bled all the way dry. Oh, they, so, they did have blood missing. Yes, okay. So okay. Radford divided the Chupacabra reports into two categories. The reports from Puerto Rico and Latin America where animals were attacked and it is supposed their blood was extracted... And the reports from the United States of mammals, mostly dogs and coyotes with mange, that people call chupacabra due to their unusual appearance. Mm. In late October 2010, University of Michigan biologist Barry O'Connor concluded that all chupacabra reports in the United States were simply coyotes infected with the parasite Sarcoptis scabiae. So, like, like a scabies type thing? Whose symptoms would explain most of the features of the chupacabra. They would be left with little fur, thickened skin, and a rank odor. O'Connor theorized that the attacks on goats occurred because these animals are greatly weakened. They're going to have a hard time hunting, so they may be forced into attacking livestock because it's easier than running down a rabbit or a deer. Mm. Although several witnesses came to the conclusion that the attacks could not be the work, work of dogs or coyotes because they had not eaten the victim, this conclusion is incorrect. Both dogs and coyotes can kill and not consume the prey, either because they are inexperienced or due to an injury or difficulty in killing the prey. The prey can survive the attack and die afterwards from internal bleeding or circulatory shock. The presence of two holes in the neck 
uh, corresponding with the canine teeth are to be expected since this is the only way that most land carnivores have to catch their prey. Mm. I Mm. will say, though, a lot of the reports have three punctures, but that could be... um, and this is graphic, but when you take a bite mm-hmm. and kind of the if the animal moves, like maybe one tooth is in and then it punctures yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot like of teeth reasonable. in a dog's mouth, so it's yeah. possible that a third puncture wound could be created could be by created. a, a neighboring tooth. Anything. yeah. You know, because the animal's not right. just going to stand there and take it. You're yeah, right. right. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, there are reports of stray Mexican hairless dogs also being mistaken for chupacabras. The most common description of the chupacabra is that of a reptile-like creature said to have leathery or scaly greenish-gray skin and sharp spines or quills running down its back. It is said to be approximately 3 to 4 feet high, 0.9 to 1.2 meters, and stands and (laughs) hops in a fashion similar to that of a kangaroo, which I didn't realize that. Hmm. (laughs) Another common description of the chupacabra is of a strange breed of wild dog. This form is mostly hairless and has a pronounced spinal ridge, unusually pronounced eye sockets, fangs, and claws. Unlike conventional predators, the chupacabra is said to drain all of the animal's blood and sometimes organs, usually through three holes in the shape of a downwards pointing triangle or through one or two holes. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I find chupacabras very hard to believe in. Yeah, so much for them. I think it's interesting. Now, we will get in the the speaking of like the livestock and and we will get into some cattle mutilation. Right. When I get to my story. Sounds super exciting. Uh, It gets pretty graphic. (laughs) And I will say, having done the research that I've done um, on that story, sometimes, especially when it comes to, like, the more bizarre cases, and there are some genuinely bizarre cases of cattle mutilation that are like, mm-hmm. this, this, the scavenger didn't do this, a fucking predator didn't do this, a person right. didn't do this, this is not, I mean, this is fucked up. Uh, when it happens, there's a lot of, a lot of vets won't touch it. They don't. Really? Because they just, they have this whole thing of, like, I can't explain how this creature died, and that's, that's, I... When this whole craze started, because it mm-hmm. started, everyone like, oh, it's UFOs, it's a satanic cult, it's a chupacabra, it's it's whatever. They wanted nothing to do with that because yeah. it hurts their business. They're like, no, I'm just here to help you fucking, you know, cure your calves of foot and mouth disease or whatever. Right. Um, and when that kind of shit happens, it's like, it's I'm crazy. just cleaning hooves. And so sometimes the scientific community will jump to conclusions because they don't have an answer. Right. Um, now, it sounds like the one they had a pretty good answer for Chupacabra. Yeah, but there are a lot of, we will get into a lot of um, quote-unquote explanations, rational explanations for cattle mutilations that just do not fucking hold Makes water. Yeah. yeah. When you look at the facts. All right. Uh, well, and see, here's the thing, is I'm not opposed to believing something else. Right. I just find the chupacabra itself difficult. Well, it's also worth noting, I think the lesson there, that I, I don't necessarily think the chupacabra is real either, but if if the rational explanation is to be believed, the lesson there is that people do experience things. Mm-hmm. It's not just a mass hallucination exactly. or people going, whatever, they're just like, oh, there's this fucking you know, breed of dog going around with this kind of mange that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So they are seeing something, and something is happening, they're right. just maybe giving it a more... A spin, a little extra something because they saw the movie Species. Right, exactly. So it's interesting, interesting how yeah. the mind works. There's also... Not fake. It's not, not fake. fake. It's just a misinterpretation. That's right. Interesting. Worth, mm-hmm. worth bearing in mind. Mm-hmm. So people aren't unreliable. They're just not as informed yeah. always. There are also Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds! It is not a 90s car. 
from a metal band's <laughs> video. Or an 80s car, I guess. And 80s, um, 90s, whatever. Hair band. And some girls like crawling on it in a bikini. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Although that would be fucking hilarious. And her okay. name is Mercedes, weirdly. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> um, it's a little car on car action. <laughs> it's a snap on tools calendar. That's what it is. It's just, it's just never an effective way to wash a car the way they wash cars. It really isn't. No. Okay, so Thunderbirds. Like, he's wash it naked. He's like, it's like that yeah. vine. I'm washing me and my car. We know, like, you can drive through a car wash. It's pretty easy. It's like I wouldn't recommend walking through a car wash naked. That's true. Yeah, it's you're going to come out with some uh, mysterious marks. That's weird. <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. Okay, the original depiction of the Thunderbird were described, uh, the depictions of the Thunderbird were described as some sort of hybrid reptilian bird, though in later description, the creature becomes more bird-like. Okay, it starts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start, but this is a notable, a notable, like... Notable sighting. Sighting. Okay. Okay. Um, like a white person sees it for the first time. That's really where this that's is. When, yeah. That's when people <laughs> seem to start taking it seriously, which I is know. so weird. But it's, it's yeah. Um, a mother whose 56-pound son had been allegedly carried 35 feet before dropping him described the Thunderbird as follows. It had a white ring around its half-foot-long neck. The rest of the body was very black. The bird's bill was six inches in length and hooked at the end. The claws on the feet were arranged with three front, one in the back. Each wing, less the body, was four feet at the very least. The entire length of the bird's body, from beak to tail feather, was approximately four and a half feet. That's big. It's big. That's really fucking big. Yeah, so with the body... It picked up her son, who was 56 (laughs) pounds, and carried him 35 feet. He was in shock. She went mama mode, raged at the bird. It dropped him and flew away. (laughs) There were a couple of them, too. This makes me think of a Charles Adams comic that came out in The New Yorker in, like, the 50s. It's like it's a woman running on a beach in the shadow of a giant bird, and in the shadow you can see a man in its claws, and she's shouting up, Harold, drop the keys! (laughs) right. (laughs) It's really funny. I know that one. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Okay. There have been, there may have been a shred of truth to the mother's story, and this is where it gets complex. Legends abound in Illinois about mysterious giant birds dating all the way back to the Cahokia tribe, Cahokia tribe, an advanced and largely urbanized chiefdom on the banks of the Mississippi River that petered out around the 13th century. Hmm. The cosmology of the Cahokia tribe is filled with fantastic creatures motifs of serpents dragons and monstrous birds dot the cliffs around the former cahokia heartland serving a religious purpose and also warning strangers and potential foes that they were entering cahokia territory if i am butchering that name i am very sorry i apologize um (laughs) the cahokia tribe calls these birds thunderbirds for the sound they make when they flap their giant wings Considered to be highly intelligent, these creatures alternated between preying on and assisting the tribe whenever they pleased. The Thunderbirds figure prominently in the legends of other plain tribes as well, including the Lakota, who believe that the birds embody the supreme being that created all living things on Earth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that creator was trying to take your baby. theoretically these birds could have been an errant condor these giant birds have wingspans in excess of 10 feet 
though the species is endangered and endemic to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So that is a Thunderbird. Thunderbirds are fascinating. It's crazy. They it's, really are. Yeah. Will o' the Wisp. <gasps> yes. I don't know why. These are kind of my favorites. Yeah? I don't know why. Do you know that's where the term jack-o'-lantern comes from? I may have known that. Oh, oh I don't know. I'm sorry. It Did seems just, likely that... To, like, it, no, no, no. I'm, I'm literally <laughs> saying know? I may have known that. Uh, it sounds familiar. Same thing. Will, will of the Wisp. Yeah. Jack of the Lantern. It's kind of a variation oh, on that. So. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah? Oh, good. good sort good, of. Good, good. Sort of where it came from and stuff. Okay. In folklore, the Will-o'-the-Wisp, Will-o'-Wisp, or Ignis Fatuus. Yeah. That one never caught on. Ignis it was just too Fatuus. hard to pronounce. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's medieval Latin for fool's fire. It's an atmospheric ghost light seen by travelers at night, especially over bogs, swamps, and marshes. The phenomenon is known in English folk belief, in English folklore, and much of European folklore by a variety of names, including jack-o'-lantern. This is why I knew that, because I read it. Ah, <laughs> I was like, yes. sounds familiar. I may have read that recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, jack-o'-lantern, friar's lantern, hinky puck. Oh, I like I'm hinky sorry, puck. Hinky punk. Hinky, hinky, hinky punk, hinky punk, and hobby lantern. <laughs> hinky punk sounds hinky like punk. a really cool club scene in right somewhere in Europe, like in some like in Estonia. It's like Estonia punk rock. Yeah, and they have really <laughs> like punk. cool lighting, and like that's the, what they call it, hinky the punk. The best lighting, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it is said to mislead travelers by resembling a flickering lamp or lantern. In literature, Will o' the Wisp sometimes have metaphorical meaning, e.g., describing a hope or a goal that leads one on but is impossible to reach, or something finds uh, something one finds sinister and confounding. Will o' the Wisp appear in folk ta- tales and traditional legends of numerous countries and cultures. Notably, Will-o'-the-Wisp includes St. Louis Light in Saskatchewan, Marfa Lights of Texas, Mm -hmm. shout out, the Naga Fireballs on the Mekong in Thailand, and the Hesdalen Light in Norway, Hesdalen Light? Oh, Hesdalen. Hesdalen Light in Norway. While urban legends, folklore, and superstition typically attribute the -the Will-o'-the-Wisps to ghosts, fairies, or elemental spirits, Modern science often explains them as natural phenomena, such as bioluminescence or chemiluminescence caused by the oxidation of phosphine, diphosphine, diphosphane, and methane produced by organic decay. So they're basically farts. Kind of. Farts that, that like nature, is just lit on fire. Kind of. That's what mm. science says. I bet. I bet it's when a dog covered in mange... Lights its fire, that's fart on fire. Why not? <laughs> well, and it's fanned by the flames of the Thunderbird's wings. <laughs> yeah. And Bigfoot comes along and is like, only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. And then he puts his foot in the middle of the fire spot. And that's how we get it all. Oh my God. This is all connected. I think we <laughs> There's just, a conspiracy. I, I think we just solved it. I think we did. All right. <laughs> all right. A little bit more. A little bit more. Okay. So the term will of the wisp comes from wisp, a bundle of sticks or paper sometimes used as a torch, and the named will, thus meaning will of the torch. The term jack-o'-lantern, jack of the lantern, originally referred to a will of the wisp. In the United States, they're often called spook lights, ghost lights, or orbs by folklorists and paranormal enthusiasts. 
Folk belief attributed the phenomenon to fairies or elemental spirits explicitly in the term hobby lanterns found in the 19th century denim tracks. In her book, A Dictionary of Fairies, K.M. Briggs provides an extensive list of other names for the same phenomenon, though the place where they are observed, graveyard, bogs, etc., influences the naming considerably. When observed in graveyards, they are known as ghost candles, also a term from the denim tracks. The names Will-o'-the-Wisp and Jack-o'-lantern are explained in etiological folk tales recorded in many variant forms. In Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, Appalachia, and Newfoundland, in these tales, protagonists named either Will or Jack are doomed to haunt the marshes with a light for some misdeed. One version from Shropshire, Shropshire, Shropshire? Shropshire, Shropshire. Um, I think Shropshire. Shropshire. It sounds right. In that, it sounds wrong. So that must be right. (laughs) (laughs) One version from Shropshire is recounted by Briggs in A Dictionary of Fairies and refers to Will the Smith. Will is a wicked blacksmith who is given a second chance by St. Peter at the gates of heaven, but leads such a bad life that he ends up being doomed to wander the earth. The devil provides him with a single burning coal with which to warm himself, which he then uses to lure foolish travelers into the marshes. And I enjoyed that because it's Will Smith. Yeah, it makes me think of like, and then the devil like condemns him to bad CGI in Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, I shouldn't be. We but haven't seen also, the movie yet. Also, we have well, no, we haven't. But he was also in Men in Black, which also kind of they're they're their own folklore thing, which we can we could do a whole episode on them, but I, oh, like, I won't because I don't want Men to. Men in Black and the children with the black eyes yes, and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Oh my so God. we'll be doing we'll be introducing some more cryptids yeah. here and there. Um Well this but, is the first this is the first story I think we'll have done where um, UFOs play a role. Yes, I think so too. Yeah, because yeah. I think, well, it's fascinating and it's too fascinating to leave alone and so much other shit happened here uh, on this place and it's I'm like, I just, it's so, so crazy. so fucking excited now. So my story Yes, that goes along is with on the, the Skinwalker Ranch Woo! of Utah. Now I want to give a special shout out to the last podcast on the left who had done a multi-parter on this. And mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. Uh, there's also uh, a YouTuber called Bedtime Stories that did a great little two-parter on it, which I found really good. The artwork in that is awesome. Nice. And uh, also the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Keller. Uh, excuse me, Colm Keller. It's an Irish name. Colm Keller. Colm Keller and George Knapp. And class. The UFO Utah Display by biologist Dr. Frank B. Salisbury. Salisbury. Right. So. All right. I have a sip of my drink. Settle in, because this shit's going to blow your mind. Now, do you know anything excited. about the Skinwalker Ranch? I know that it has nothing to do with Skywalker Ranch. Nothing. Right. I In my <laughs> mind, I wanted it to be like, like this is what I wanted it to be when I ever heard about it, because I didn't really know anything about it. I wanted it to be like a, a creature, you know how they'll do mm-hmm. um, face-off? The, yeah. They designed, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like it was it was a space like Skywalker Ranch, but it was for um, makeup and creature <laughs> development like that. Oh, that'd be really great. Right. I think when I first heard the name Skinwalker Ranch, I immediately thought of one of those really dodgy looking strip clubs mm. you see on the side of the highway in like mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You realize there's probably a thousand people in there right now because this like is the only, only strip joint for like a hundred square miles. Right. Um, 
<laughs> but it's at not. At least half of the dancers are pregnant. <laughs> no shame <laughs> to dancers. You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. But and it's that just, takes talent to dance while yeah, you're pregnant. It really true. does. It you got to. You got to. It takes talent to do anything while you're pregnant. That's true. <laughs> it takes talent to pee when you're pregnant. Um, or not to pee. Or not to pee. As the case yeah, may I feel be. like I think the peeing part might <laughs> be the pee easiest. Or not to pee. That is the question. <laughs> anyway, so strap in. This is going to be a long and detailed story. And if you don't gasp at least a dozen times, I will not have done my job. <gasps> There's one. Oh, fuck. That, that's just, you can't just give them to me. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Unless practice. you were gasping at the challenge. All right. Um, so we begin with uh, northern Utah's Unita Basin. It's easily one of the most remote and beautiful regions of the country. It's part of the larger Colorado Plateau's Providence, east of the Wasatch Mountains and south of the Unita Mountains, which form the basin's northern border. It's also home of King's Peak, the highest point in Utah, uh, rising at just about 13,528 feet above sea level. And the breathtaking 75-square-mile area also happens to be one of the most active paranormal hotspots spots on the fucking planet i'm excited um while roughly, also utah is gorgeous it really is like all like, of it when i was looking at pictures of this place like, i want to visit just to like take postcards mm-hmm. but this place is also terrifying now well roughly <laughs> i want to visit it for like four hours and then leave <laughs> not even that long um four minutes and i just want to i want to go to another state and just have my drone fly over <laughs> <laughs> and never come and, back like never ever ever and i'm not the only one that feels that way um <laughs> So, while roughly 12,000 years worth of Native American oral tradition bears compelling witness to the high strangeness of the region, recorded UFO sightings date back to the 18th century in in 1776. Does a what count as a gasp? Right. Does it? Huh? I said, what? Does that, that count as a count? All right, one. We'll We're at one. That. In 1776, the first Europeans in the region, a pair of Franciscan monks scouting out a road between Santa Fe and Monterey, witnessed a churning ball of fire blaze across the night sky above their camp in El Rey and recorded Ooh. it in their journals, diaries, whatever you call what <laughs> monks write in. Um, Papers. There is so much bizarre shit that has happened over the centuries in this area that I barely even have time to scratch the surface. But among some of the high weirdness, before we even get to the Skinwalker Ranch, um, to give you an idea, strange lights have adorned the stunning night sky for centuries. The local Ute tribe uh, has a housing development that is rumored to be built on a cemetery originally established for black Freemasons, known as the Buffalo Warriors, Mm. during the Civil War. I highly Mm -hmm. recommend you look them up. Uh, They were just too fascinating to even get into here because it would take me down another rabbit hole. Giant aquatic serpents supposedly haunt a nearby reservoir known as Bottle Hollow. Haunted by aquatic serpents? Hmm? Off the record, tribal police will tell you these creatures dragged at least one unfortunate victim to a watery doom as recently as the 80s. Whoa. Now, the reservoir abuts a 488-acre plot of land smack dab in the middle of the Unita Basin that the Ute forbid their people to walk on, believing it to be, quote, in the path of the skinwalker. And they hold hard and fast to that rule. They do not fucking truck with that area at motherfucking all. Um, Into the side of a geological feature bordering the property is inscribed a discreet Masonic insignia at least a hundred years old. Oh, we've got another one. We've got a gasp. There's two. <laughs> yes. Carved in such a way that the artists must have suspended themselves from the rim in a way not yet understood. The ridge itself is known as Skinwalker Ridge. Now, you may be asking, what exactly is a skinwalker? Well... Whatever else you've heard, they are bad fucking news. Uh, In Navajo culture, 
Uh, they're essentially a kind of rogue shaman or witch with the ability to transform into any animal they please, among other things, and their intentions are never good. At best, they use their powers for purely selfish ends. At worst, they absolutely get their kicks by sowing death and destruction. It's like a magical ronin. <laughs> Maybe. <Right>. Uh, sure. <laughs> isn't a ronin, isn't that what a ronin is? It's a samurai that... It's a samurai that doesn't have a master anymore. Right, so it So roams. they just kind of roam and... Yeah, so it's like that, but magical and dark. Very dark. Okay. Very, very dark. On the rare occasions when uh, Navajo will even speak about them to outsiders, they are referred to in hushed tones as creatures of pure, concentrated evil, and the Navajo don't like to speak of them very often because even to talk about them is to, like, get their attention, and the last fucking thing you want is to be on a skinwalker's to-do list. Seems Um, appropriate. According to legend, the means by which they obtain their terrifying powers involve, among other things, sacrificing a loved one in cold blood and having sex with the corpse. For starters. What? No, wait. What is that? That's that's, That's just a thing they do? That's a thing. That's apparently that the legend is that skinwalkers are initiated into the craft that way. So right out the gate, they are... Somebody who would be willing to do that. Yeah, yeah. Now that's according to Navajo legend. A lot of this, and again, the Navajo are very cagey about that. They don't like to talk about them. They don't like it. Um, mm. we, Tony Hillerman, who we mentioned earlier, the author who's uh, who's written about, he's he's lived among the Navajo for, he's a Caucasian man, I believe mm-hmm. he's Caucasian, that has lived among the Navajo for decades, and he has used the Skinwalker trope and stories about skinwalkers in in his detective fiction, and it's gotten some flack from the culture because they're like, mm. and on the one hand, some you know some some people within you know the culture are like, don't 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 be saying that shit. We look stupid when you say that, and others right. are like, don't be talking about that shit because these things are real, and uh, no, we don't want to. Mm. Right? You not supposed to talk about Fight Club. Yes. Basically, basically, it's like a big black magic fight club. They live, they're supposed to live in a place not far from Skinwalker Ranch called the Dark Canyon, and you are forbidden to go there too. It's just a terrible sounding name. Just to go there, you have to like talk to the Ute. If you are a member of the tribe, you have to get clearance from the tribal elders to go, and they never grant it. Well, why would you have to go to the Dark Canyon? (laughs) What reason do you have? Exactly, right? Just fucking leave it be. Let them do their thing. Well, you know, and it's interesting too, because we just talked about the Oregon Trail Mm -hmm. last time that this the trail led to this area yes and it had not been it was it had you know only the native americans were living there at the time and and had and it's interesting that they had particular rules about the things that were there And you I mean, don't mess with shit. You don't mess do, with shit. And they're like, here, here come all these fucking white dudes just going to be like, what's this? What's this? It's like having someone in your house. It's like having children in your home. Like that's nice. And you've got nice shit everywhere. And the kids are just going to pick everything up and drop right. it. And they were like, push all the buttons. Fucking, and... God damn it. This is yeah. <sighs> fucking white people. Yeah. Um, now, skinwalkers are not thought to bother non-Native Americans, but... In recent times, some stories suggest that they're expanding their portfolio. Um, In 1983, a Caucasian family driving in Arizona along Route 183 through a massive Navajo reservation was suddenly struck by the certainty that something unseen was following their car. As they rounded the bend, the atmosphere palpably changed. Time seemed to stand still. All at once, a massive humanoid figure covered in black fur and astonishingly wearing men's clothing Hmm. jumped out at them from a ditch at the side of the road. Its eyes, they said, burned yellow. 
Now, a few nights later, the family awoke to the sound of drumming outside their Flagstaff home. Mm. Three figures, vaguely humanoid, were standing at the fence, which for some reason they seemed unable to climb over. After several failed attempts, these creatures, whatever they were, formed a circle and began chanting (gasps) for about an hour (laughs) before they finally skulked off into the night, never to be seen again. Now... How does all this figure into the Skinwalker Ranch? Well, hold on real quick. Uh I just want to stop for a minute. (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot to take in. And we haven't even gotten that. I just want just to the the visual of these three terrifying creatures after this terrible thing. And there are three of them and they're humanoid and it's terrifying and they're coming. And then they just can't climb over the fence. (laughs) Well, the family talked to someone on the reservation about what the fuck was going on, yeah. and they were told by a shaman that, like, they're after you, but there's something protecting your protecting home, your and that's home. why they couldn't get in, and so they just gave up. I just enjoy it turning into the Three Stooges of terrifying <laughs> and not being able to get on. I, just, I don't know. Like, it, it's terrifying. Like, thank it's God. Terrifying, it's terrifying, but like, very amazing Whatever, that's, like, the best brand of fencing ever. <laughs> they're like, right. you know, yes. keep, out, keep out evil spirits with, with DuPont. I, whatever right, yeah. it's. So, um... Anyway, so some members of the Ute tribe uh, trace all the trouble on the Skinwalker Ranch back by about 15 generations. In the early 19th century, the Utes, described by historians as a fierce and warlike people, frequently teamed up with the Navajo against common enemies. Now, they didn't always get along, but they were willing to work together mm-hmm. if, if it suited both their purposes. After acquiring horses from the Spanish, however, they turned on their former allies with a vengeance, raiding their camps and selling prisoners into the thriving New Mexican slave market. Mm. During the Civil War... Uh, The Ute took orders from Kit Carson in a military campaign against the Navajo. In 1878, hundreds of Navajo perished in a forced march from their lands under U.S. bayonets. Driven to a remote and inhospitable land, the Navajo blamed their misery on the tribe's preponderance of witches and began executing wholesale anyone suspected of sorcery. That's fine. One such victim of this purge was gutted and stuffed with protective talismans wrapped in a broken treaty. And this is true. What? The remains were found in a grave and there's like rocks and fucking sage and shit inside them. inside their stomach wrapped in a fucking broken treaty with the U.S. government. Hmm. It's around this time the Utes believe the Navajo, in retribution, cursed the land on which the ranch now sits. Ah... Uh. Uh, and maybe not the Navajo, but the the, Someone. the, the witches within the Navajo right. that were just sick of everything. Yeah. At least that's that's what some of the Ute uh, believe. The Ute believe it. So the it's Ute not like it. a white person is just being like, oh, they must have cursed it. And so now everything's even. Yeah, well, yeah. The, 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 there's such a huge Mormon population in, in uh, Utah that a lot of them don't really... Are you keeping? Are you keeping, keeping a running tally? Yes, you said twelve. Okay, that's great. Oh my god, and we have okay. So let's get to the ranch. Okay. Um. Um. By 1987, the elderly couple, the Myers, who'd owned the ranch since the mid-50s, had all but abandoned it, schlepping about 150 miles from Salt Lake City once or twice a year to make sure the fences were still intact. In 1994, a high-end cattle breeder uh, from New Mexico named Tom Gorman and his wife Ellen, these are pseudonyms, they do not like being known by their names, and haven't for years. Do they Uh, still live there? No. No, okay. Uh, And his wife Ellen purchased it for a song. The contract had several bizarre clauses, including one that prohibited digging on the property without express consent from the Myers. Now, to be fair, there is some confusion on that point. The Myers maintained 
that they don't remember much happening with their and their time on the ranch. And it's quite feasible that the whole no digging thing had to do with mineral rights, which probably still belonged to them at the time. Right, of course. Um, either way, when Tom and Ellen first uh, set up in the homestead, the old homestead that had been there forever, they found it dilapidated. There were deadbolts on every door, inside and out. Mm. Interior doors and outside doors. Both sides of the doors all had deadbolts. Um, there were dog pens like guard dog pens Mm -hmm. uh in several places around the house there were chain uh, like uh brackets or whatever uh uh, shackles whatever you call them clearly there to chain up powerful dogs and tom gorman recalls it looking like the place was prepared to wait out a fucking siege and he was really weirded out by that maybe that was the zombie apocalypse place well (laughs) so the first really weird thing that happened to them was uh, the wolf Now, while tending to a cattle enclosure one afternoon, shortly after moving in, Tom and his son, Tad, also a pseudonym, noticed a wolf loping toward them from the far side of the south pasture. As it stalked closer, Tom, a trained marksman with a keen eye for distances, could plainly make out that this gray-pelted creature was at least three times the size of an average wolf. Like a dire wolf. Exactly. <laughs> and a dire wolf, that was a real thing. Oh, yeah. They were a real species. They they went extinct about 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's what it looked like. When it came up to them, at one point, Tom was over six feet tall. Like, this thing was standing on all fours. When it was near him, he could. it came up to his fucking shoulder. Wow. That's how big this fucking thing is. Wow. Um... It, it, it's the, the creature seemed nonchalant as it came up to them, even friendly, wagging its tail as it approached, regarding them with, with ice blue eyes that, quote, penetrated the soul. And with such zen-like calm did the animal regard them that even when 50 feet away, neither Tom, Tad, or Ellen, who by now had joined them with their daughter Kate to see what all the fuss was about, felt the slightest pang of fear. Hmm. The same couldn't be said of the cattle, recoiling toward the opposite end of the pen, however. Uh, they seemed fearful of the creature and the wet, musky odor that came with it. One calf, however, more curious than afraid, poked its head through the bars for a better look. All at once, in a flash of gray, the wolf had the poor creature's neck in its powerful, massive jaws. Tom kicked at it mercilessly, in the ribs. Unblinking, it continued to try wrenching the poor calf through the bars. Tom finally pulled out his uh, 357 Magnum and shot the wolf point-blank in the abdomen, standing no more than two feet away. It had no effect. Wow. Only after three shots did the wolf let go, and only after a fourth shot directly at the beast's heart did it finally back off by about 20 feet. But still, it just kind of stood there looking at them with these Whoa. blue eyes like, the fuck are you doing? Why would you? I'm hungry. It's... And then it just sort of looked at them. So Tom um, ordered Tad to fetch his .30-06 from the house, and Ellen and Kate were just watching in horror like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, Tad comes back out with the gun, and he... You know, uh, Tom fires at the creature and it blew off a piece, just a tiny piece of its shoulder. But it still took several more shots for this creature to finally just turn around in its own good time and trot right. off. I guess you know when you're not wanted. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> uh, so it just, it, it it took off towards this sort of copse of Russian olive trees, of which there were several on the property. Tom and his son gave chase, determined not to let this thing roam their property unchecked, especially with all these expensive heads of cattle they were planning on moving onto the property. Right. Um, Um, after losing sight of him, they tracked the creature for half an hour. Its massive paw prints abruptly ended in the mud about 20 yards from the bank of a nearby river. The wolf 
was nowhere to be seen. Wow. And the tracks, especially when they got to the mud, like clearly at several points, the the creature had sunk down in the mud by a foot or two because mm-hmm. the, the ground because was the that soft. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah. boom, the, the tracks just end. The wolf was nowhere. When Tom went back to the homestead, like just with his son shaking their heads going i this we don't fucking know what happened what this is all about he found he found the piece of flesh that had torn off in with one of the gunshots and by the way that 30 6 that he used could take mm-hmm. down a fucking elk and right. it didn't even all it did was blow off a little piece of right. shoulder and tom was a fucking marksman he served time in the military during vietnam so like he knew what he was fucking doing and so he picked up this piece of flesh later uh in just a few a little while later when he came back to the homestead and he it looked dead it looked necrotized and it oh. smelled like rot and it had only that's been there for maybe an hour. Right. Ew, that's <laughs> now Ellen herself saw the wolf and several others like it on multiple occasions, usually while driving up to the house from the front gate. When she drove to town and demanded the Ute tribal police do something about these creatures, they met her with utter confusion. The last wolf in the region they said had been shot and killed in 1929. Eventually, the wolves stopped showing up, but no sooner sooner had they made themselves scarce than Ellen became the focus of poltergeist activity. It makes me think of the Church Grimm's, too, the large black dog Mm -hmm, thing, too. mm -hmm. Oh, it's fucked up. Well, and a Church Grimm is a dead dog, so... Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. One afternoon, she put away a sizable load of groceries she'd just come back to town uh, from town with, mm-hmm. only to find every single item taken from its proper place and stuffed back in the shopping bag she knew she'd folded and stowed beneath the kitchen sink not a few minutes before. She would step out of the shower to find her towel and hairbrush missing, though the bathroom door was locked. Very the, irritating. The brush turned up later in the freezer. Doors, Very irritating. <laughs> doors all over the house, inside and out, would just open, which seemed to explain the deadbolts. Right, yeah. Uh, So many household objects went missing uh, or turned up in places she had no memory of leaving them that Ellen started uh, being concerned for her mental health. Was this the onset of, uh, of some kind of early dementia or Alzheimer's? She didn't know. One evening, Tom bustled in around dusk, shouting about his goddamn post hole digger. He'd set it aside for a moment to root through his truck for a pair of pliers and turn back to find the 70-pound tool completely vanished. Were the kids playing pranks on him? He wanted to know, by God. He wanted to finish the fence he was working on while there was still enough light. Ellen told him that the kids had been inside with her for several hours. They looked for the post hole digger together to no avail. It turned up several weeks later, dangling from the top of a tree on the opposite side of the property. What? That's crazy. Tad and three friends were tasked with hauling 200-some-odd metal fencing rods stacked near the house to a back pasture. Uh, Tom noticed one afternoon that it hadn't been done, uh, and when he brought this to Tad's attention, Tad protested vehemently and said to no, he and his friends had done it. Uh, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, he would said, fuck to his dad. He's like, you know, what are you talking about? They go outside, and upon closer inspection, marks in the dirt clearly indicated that someone or something had dragged the rods back across the property and plopped them back down to where they had been next to the house, but just a few inches off. Mm, also very irritating. <laughs> now, soon enough, the family started to feel like they were being watched. Mm. They'd catch fleeting shadowy figures peering in through the windows Not at night. Cool. I don't like that. Heavy footsteps would echo from the porch, then mm-hmm. later from inside the house. No, thank you. Uh, Tom and Ellen awoke in terror one evening to find the figure, one such figure standing at the foot of their bed before disappearing. 
Negative. Don't like that. Uh-huh. It all sucks. The week prior to the post-hole digger's rediscovery, Tom's young nephew had been sent to the ranch by his parents, who hoped the experience would toughen the kid up a little bit. Now, knowing that his nephew was afraid of the dark, Tom and Tad had been giving the boy an an after-sundown tour of the ranch to check on the cattle when Tom noticed what appeared to be RV lights in the distance, moving along the ridge well within the fence line of his property. Now, he'd seen lights like this before and had dismissed them as unwary motorists just having taken a wrong turn off the two-lane blacktop flanking the eastern side of his ranch. Seeing the lights now, however, he suspected poachers and was determined to chase whomever it was the fuck off. As he walked toward With them... With the kid who's anxious in the dark. Well, he left them standing there and was like, I'm just going to go okay. walk up and see. I mean, his poachers on his land. You know, mm-hmm, this man right. has, you know, many, many thousands of dollars of cattle and mm-hmm, shit. And, right. you know, you got to you gotta hold your own. And this is especially his farm guys. Like, all right, kids, watch what, you know, watch watch how a man defends his land. Right. So... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my dad would have been that way. Now, as he walked toward the lights, they moved away, which was odd because how the fuck had they seen him? Did they have night vision goggles? Clearly poachers if they did. He picked up his pace. The lights did the same. Tad and his nephew followed. They chased the RV from a distance of no more than 200 yards at any given time, wondering how the hell the red tail lights weren't bobbing over the uneven terrain, why there was no engine noise, and how, for the matter of that, it never faltered where they knew there to be barbed wire fencing. When at last the mysterious RV came up against a thick border of 50-foot-high Russian olive trees, Tom and the boys stood in utter shock as the taillights lifted off the ground and simply flew over it. It sounds like that decay was really running away from them. (laughs) (laughs) Against the night sky, they could see clearly this was no RV, but an oblong craft with a headlight in front and a taillight in back. And all they could do was fucking watch as it just drifted silently out of sight. Now, the winter of 95 was an especially rough one. Tom was outside uh, all hours of the day and night trying to round up cattle that had wandered off too far in the driving snow. And this is Utah. Temperatures get down to Mm -hmm. 30, 40 below freezing. Sounds... it's awful. Terrible. Now, searching on horseback for a prized Angus cow that had been missing uh, pretty much since the day before, he found a set of hoof prints and followed them toward a thicket. He was a bit alarmed, however, to note that these tracks indicated the animal had broken into a full-on run as it got close to the thicket mm-hmm. like something was chasing it. Now, that's weird mm-hmm. because there was only one set of prints. Now, he followed the prints into the thicket. They led about 20 yards into a clearing and they just ended. Whoa. Period. Nothing. Cow was never found. And that winter, four more heads of cattle disappeared exactly like that. There'd be tracks or something and fucking nothing. Now, one night, while kind of roaming furtively around the ranch, hoping to catch the livestock snatchers in the act, as Tom made his way back home, crestfallen, he did another failed attempt to get at the heart of this increasingly costly puzzle. Something caught the corner of his eye. Silhouetted against the snow, a large black mass hovered quietly above the ground about a hundred yards off to his left. He ducked down and hid in the brush and watched as the object moved slowly over the air as though uh, it were surveying his property. He describes the craft as resembling a kind of snub-nosed, poorly constructed variation on the F-117 Nighthawk, only completely quiet. Colored lights danced along the ground beneath it as though projected from its hull without corresponding beams. It went along as if taking everything in, and after watching it for several minutes without moving, Tom could no longer resist the urge to shift his weight. When he did, his joints cracked. And even though he was far enough away that nothing should have been able to hear him, 
the lights, the mm -hmm. colored lights blinked out and the object turned and floated back towards him and was about 50 yards away and just kind of hovered there like it was watching him until finally it just went away and disappeared wow. off to the north. Ellen saw the same thing sometime later while Tom was out of town for a couple days. It floated above her car as she approached the house one evening, and the colored lights were dancing off her hood. Uh, she ran inside and did her best to push it out of her mind. Sipping tea to calm her nerves, a little later, Ellen peered out from behind the living room curtains, only to see the bizarre RV-shaped craft parked out in the field not far from the house. Through what appeared to be windows along the side of this thing, she could make out a figure, easily over eight feet tall, dressed head to toe in black, walking from one end to the other and sitting down at some kind of large table. She called Tom in a panic. He rushed home as soon as he could and got there the next morning to find a set of colossal footprints where she'd seen the craft. Each print was over 18 inches long. Whoa. Now, while uh, with the spring rains came more cattle disappearances, only some of these would turn up later, either dead for no apparent reason or horribly mutilated. Mm -hmm. Huge chunks of tissue were carved out of the animals, but the cuts were cauterized and the wounds were free of blood. Now, I want to talk about this for a second okay. because cattle mutilation, when an animal dies, uh, it's rumen can become it's inflamed. It's just in, it's an internal part. I don't fucking know. It's chest um, area. It's, it's thoracic cavity. Okay. Um, can swell because mm -hmm. of gases and bacteria right. producing as things break down, decomposition, decomposition whatever. Yeah. And if it swells up enough, soft tissue parts begin are suddenly exposed that, that aren't normally there. And so mm -hmm. scavengers can come, have a nibble, and mm -hmm. which releases the gas. The body kind of deflates a little bit, and then so it kind of makes the wounds look strange it, it you mm -hmm. know it makes it look like it makes the, the wounds look unnatural because they reshape as the body deflates right. uh and there'd be very little blood spillage at the time because the blood has coagulated yeah the only argument against this being the cause of the cattle mutilation is that that kind of that that effect for that effect to occur naturally the beast has to be dead for quite some time mm -hmm. and tom and ellen and other people as we'll see would find these creatures dead in that state 30 minutes after they'd seen them alive really it's fucking it's kind weird. of like that um the flesh of the that mm -hmm. got shot off of the the dog right exactly it, it's like some it kind of weird super fast super fast or there's just some kind of time slip goes on mm -hmm. and sometimes these cattle whatever did this to them and some cattle ended up in far worse condition within view like they'd be Ooh. sitting there one second and then like tom would turn and go back and the fucking thing would be dead right where he'd seen it last time standing only now it's like missing organs and all this other shit mm -hmm. and it's got its colon cut out and and no blood anywhere um, and it, it's just fucked up and it's like, and it happened, you know, within view of where he should have been able to see whatever the fuck it was. And there was nothing. Yeah. So it's, I would not enjoy that. Nope. Well, he didn't. And in fact, the loss <laughs> of so many cattle started putting a real financial strain on Tom and his family. And throughout 1995, the phenomenon across the board just ramped up everywhere. The mysterious lights were almost a nightly occurrence, as was poltergeist activity. Noise from some kind of heavy machinery would emanate from the ground loud enough for the neighbors to hear... Uh, disembodied voices speaking in unknown languages would drift down mockingly from the sky, sometimes in broad fucking daylight. Wow. One morning, Tom awoke to find huge holes dug all over the ranch, as if with a giant cookie cutter, but no <laughs> piles of dirt. So Weird. there were hundreds of pounds of dirt just fucking missing that had been taken off his property right under his fucking nose. It made no sense. 
Um, you know, and and it, sometimes, oh, this is crazy, herds of cattle would nervously move aside and stampede away as if to make way for some large invisible presence that they Ooh. couldn't see. Um, water in an irrigation canal displaced as if thrashing, as if by thrashing invisible feet. Uh, and then, oh God, this one. Okay, so once words got around about the strange shit at the Gorman Ranch, it was only a matter of time before people started showing up to catch a glimpse. Now Tom had no time for the curious and had to stop and had to shoo off, had to shoo them off in droves. The last thing he wanted was to manage a goddamn tourist attraction. However, in a rare moment of good humor, one afternoon he let a naive young hippie meditate in his field, if only for a lark. The man pleaded and said he'd driven from out of state. Tom didn't see the harm in giving the kid a few minutes to do whatever the hell he was going to do. The harmless oddball plopped down on the dirt with his legs crossed, eyes closed, and began muttering some mantras. A few minutes into this, Tom and Tad, who'd come along for the show, caught sight of something glistening in a nearby tree. They watched, baffled, as a kind of shimmering, pixelated mass spilled from the branches and floated toward their guest, vanishing a few feet above his head. This all happened so quickly that they all they could do was just stand there in silence. Suddenly, the young man, who hadn't seen it because his eyes were closed, suddenly popped open, his, his eyes popped open, and he started to freak the fuck out. He couldn't move. Before it was all said and done, Tom and his son had to carry the kid back to his van and see him safely off. Later that night... The movie Predator happened to be on the television. When they saw the the alien appear in its high-tech camouflage, they both Tom and Tad jumped out of their fucking skin saying, that's what we what fucking saw. saw. Oh, my gosh. Um, one night, while Tom surveyed the ranch from a tree stump, which was one of his preferred vantage points nearest the homestead, he saw a massive orange globe materialize about a mile off just above the horizon, not unlike the setting sun or a harvest moon. Now, getting a closer look through the scope of his rifle, Tom could swear he saw an expanse of blue sky inside of it, as though we were peering through some kind of rift into another world or time. Hmm. He could even make out wisps of cloud. Now, these orange portals began appearing regularly. Both he, Tom, uh, both Tom, Tad, Ellen, everyone in the family and several neighbors saw it. Sometimes they could make out blue sky on the other side. Sometimes the interior resembled more of a layered tunnel. On several occasions... A black shape would zip in or out of it at such speed, not even Tom's eagle eye could tell the size. He, he wondered why other people in the area weren't making more of a fuss. Turns out the homestead was the only vantage point from which this phenomenon could be viewed clearly. If Tom drove toward it, the portal flattened. If he tried to see it from the side, it simply ceased to exist. The mouth of the tunnel pointed straight at the Gorman homestead people i also don't by, enjoy that <laughs> people driving by on the highway could only see a perfectly ordinary flat orange glow that would barely register if they saw even that hmm. now tom and ellen took to keeping vigil on the porch at night in nervous anticipation of whatever might come next one evening looking west tom noticed a strange blue orb dancing in the tree line beside the horses the glow so intense it illuminated a sizable patch of whatever happened to be near he and Ellen watched as the orb buzzed around the head of one horse who shook its head briefly but seemed otherwise unconcerned. Then, with astonishing speed, the orb flew toward them. Uh, it hovered about 15 feet off the ground, roughly 20 feet away, offering a clear view of itself while seeming to scrutinize them. What they described was that inside a clear, hard shell casing about the size of a basketball swirled an incandescent mass, the most intense shade of blue they'd ever seen. Suddenly, 
Astonishment changed to panic. Tom and Ellen began trembling uncontrollably. Ellen uh, aimed the beam of her flashlight at the orb in something like self-defense, and as if struck, the orb spun around and darted back for the trees. Tom and Ellen went the fuck inside. Yeah. Two hours later, the orb returned, circling the house and peering in through the windows. He was looking for them! Both the, in- both the interior lights and the yard light outside dimmed and brightened in proportion to the orb's proximity until it finally went away. Um, on another night, while keeping watch with his three trusty setters in the field, Tom saw a blue uh, orb, which they had begun now referring to as the blue meanies, because if you were anywhere near it, you just started going, you just started Panicking. having a weird panic attack yeah. uh, that seemed artificial. Tom re- re- referred to it as it just felt like the, it was just laid on you. Like, I wasn't scared. Like, they saw so much weird shit that would make them feel uneasy, but full-on panic at these things was just, like, yeah. it, he just didn't feel, it felt out of character well, for Well, the him. fact that they would be on their front porch... To start with, mm-hmm. I was like, red flag, motherfuckers. Red flag, But apparently, flag. if it happens so often, and and they weren't injured by anything personally, mm-hmm. or, you know, then I guess it would make sense to be on your, your front porch. Mm-hmm. So, and then to have, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. that's it, now, mm. so, so he saw one of these blue meanies uh, kind of capering along the field while he was in it with his three setters. And he was, at this point, just so tired of this bullshit that his dogs, who were growling and just wanted to fucking go at this thing, he let them off. And he let them go. And they chased it. And the thing ran away from them. Uh, or flew away from them. Now, they were like, it would get low enough to the ground that it would, like, they would nip at it. And, and you know, but it would dodge them in this series of clearly intelligent evasive maneuvers from the dogs. And they chased it into a uh, thicket. A lot of thickets on this mm-hmm. land. It's Utah, right? Well, Tom had just enough time to bask in the sort of momentary victory over the forces plaguing his family mm-hmm. for the past however many months when out of the darkness there came three loud, pained yelps mm-hmm. followed by total silence. Oh, the, dogs, yeah. the dogs did not come back. After waiting for two hours, Tom finally went back home, determined to come back the next morning. He did, and he and his son Tad found four black greasy smoldering piles that had been the dogs oh in the gosh. thicket see that, never send your dogs unless you want them to get well burned. and that was these were his favorite dogs yeah. and their death was the last straw now mm. i'm gonna go make another drink and then we're gonna yes. get into the second half of the story <gasps> what okay I had, to, I had to get a blanket. I was cold. It's cold. It's cold. I it's need, really cold. I need. And we have to turn cold. the air off so we can record. I know the air's off. It's like twenty-five degrees <laughs> in Texas right now. It's thirty-four. <laughs> Feels like twenty-five. Yeah, with it's the wind really chill, windy. Though. It's really, really windy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> there's no heat on, and I'm getting the story, and I'm getting like chills from getting <laughs> throat, like, like getting freaked from out. Inside and out. I know. I'm, oh so my I'm God. like, let me get a little blanket too. So where were we? So Tom, the dogs had died, and Tom, like by now they'd been on the ranch for about 18 months. Uh, yes, not even and the two dog, years. And then he and was they, done. He was fucking yes, done. That's right. So um, by now, Tom had lost over, uh, had lost 14 head of cattle, which was several. That's a lot, that's a lot of money. Um, the children were doing poorly at school. Is a Ellen, head of cattle just like a, a cow? Yes. One unit. One unit. <laughs> just like it I guess, sounds I like, I guess it would be like heads of lettuce. Yeah. But I don't know. It just. I think it's just, the st- it's the industry term. I, I don't know. Because it, wouldn't it just be easier to be like 14 cows? Well, they're not always cows. Sometimes they're a bull. Sometimes they're a different kind. I mean, it's, 
it, it's the most general term okay. for livestock, I head. guess, is head of cattle. Because head, head cattle can refer, from what I understand, can refer to bulls, cows, mm-hmm. calf. Um, Genji is definitely part bovine, based Genji, upon what he Genji looks like. Is, Genji is absolutely livestock. When he runs away, there is nothing but a cow butt running away from you. And, it's, <laughs> and if he's running towards you, it's like you're being, you bull. feel like a matador. Yeah, when he's um, running full tilt, and Genji's a Frenchie, for those who don't know, uh, he looks... More bull than French, though. Yeah. He looks like a, a cow in a china shop, and he will <laughs> he will destroy everything <laughs> in his path. He's so... And I love it. He's a thick little 32-pound thing. He's so cute. Um... So, so frightened was the family that they took to huddling together in the same room at night. The Gormans were at their wits' end. Now, a local newspaper published a gossip piece about the ranch, much to Tom's chagrin. How's everybody finding out about this shit? It's fucking Utah. Word gets around, you know, come to town. And and what was going on at the Gorman Ranch, like, shit had been going on there for generations. Right. And they're just finding they out just because they came from New Mexico. And so they're like, how are things going on? And they would, Tom would go and talk to neighbors like, have you had shit happen? So word gets out. Right. I guess um, they probably have ranch hands and stuff like that. Helping mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so a local newspaper published a gossip piece about the ranch, much to, much to Tom's chagrin. He did not want publicity at all. Uh, this was just a salt of the earth dude, mm-hmm. you know, who was like, I just want to fucking raise cattle. And we like moved. They had moved specifically to this area in Utah because they were coming from New Mexico, some small town in New Mexico that was a little too gossipy for their tastes. <laughs> a small town. So they moved from a small town to an even smaller town just to get away from everything. And now it's like, fuck, we had to buy the fucking land that's haunted by whatever shit this is. By all of the things ever. All the things ever. And so, um,. Most folks laughed off the story, uh, especially if if they weren't, you know, if they weren't neighbors. But it caught the attention of billionaire Las Vegas real estate entrepreneur Robert T. Bigelow. Mm. Bigelow had invested a ton of money. Male gigolo? Deuce Bigelow? (laughs) Maybe his dad. Um, (laughs) Bigelow had, had invested millions of dollars into a dedicated team of scientists uh, uh, who investigated claims of the paranormal, known as the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, he offered to buy the ranch. Tom, after much soul-searching, sold. Ellen and their kids moved into a smaller ranch about 25 miles away. Tom split his time between them and staying on with NIDS as the ranch manager. Now, it's worth mentioning NIDS was serious fucking business. In fact, Bigelow's ambition in assembling the team was unprecedented. It amounted to a well-funded, highly qualified group of PhD holders and ex-military from various scientific disciplines armed to the teeth with state-of-the-art equipment and who could deploy anywhere in the country at a moment's notice to investigate shit like this. Hmm. Uh, Bigelow was careful to recruit field investigators with a decidedly skeptical bent, people Mm -hmm. he could count on to prioritize rational explanations over pseudoscience. The two most senior members of the team were physicist Eric Davis and biochemist uh, Colm Keheller. Keller would would later uh, 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 co-author the book Hunt for the Skinwalker with George Knapp. Uh, it's also worth noting that Tom, a salt-of-the-earth guy, scoffed at the idea of aliens or anything to do with Native American folklore. He figured the military were up to something on his land illegally and wanted NIDS to fucking out them. So he could sue? 
for all mm-hmm. of the things. Yeah. The ranch offered a wide variety of uh, phenomenon in a remote locale ideal for research. Nids couldn't resist. They purchased a dozen heads of cattle from Tom to use as bait and set up a field lab in September. The team consisted... Oh, poor cows. The team, well, they were, they were going to get killed anyway. Might as well die for science. Oh. Um, the team consisted of four scientists from different disciplines and a small group of assistant investigators stationed on the property 24-7. The aim was to collect evidence and present a monthly report to the rather hard-edged advisory board back in Las Vegas. The first order of business was ruling out fraud or mass delusions, which of course were very popular uh, or very possible as the team knew. They searched uh, for plants that might emit spores uh, with psychotropic properties. They tested the water supply for contamination. They surveyed the area for concentrations of electromagnetic energy and infrasound. They checked for fault lines, which can, in Mm -hmm. rare instances, Mm -hmm. create seismic stress sufficient to cause hallucinations and light anomalies. Again and again, though, when they looked for rational explanations, the team came up short. Apart from a few odd lights in the sky, though, not much really happened for the remainder of 1996. The team grew doubtful of the more bizarre claims made by Tom and his family, but that would change soon enough. Ooh. On March 9th, 1997, a calf... Oh my gosh, it's almost March 9th. Oh shit, it is. On March 9th, 1997, oh, wait. a calf turned up... We were up... recording it. Yeah. It's close to March 9th it's... whenever this comes out. We're like out. the first week of March right now, so... Yeah. Yeah. A calf turned up horrendously mutilated in broad daylight, not 15 minutes after Tom had seen it live. His blue healer growled and raced toward the calf's mother, who was pacing frantically back and forth. Incidentally, the blue healer disappeared and never showed up again. Um, Tom rushed over to find the calf dead. Its leg had been ripped off at the (gasps) joint and lay 10 yards away. Its ribs were broken outward and all thoracic internal organs were just gone. No. The tagged ear had been cut off with surgical precision. In all, 40 pounds of meat and tissue from the 80-pound animal had vanished without a trace of blood, either on the carcass or in the grass. And whatever very hungry. And whatever did this had done so quietly, in broad daylight, less than 100 yards from where Tom had been standing with an unobstructed view. The team's veterinarian took samples... While other members of the team scoured the area for tracks, there were none, but passing an observation deck surrounded by chain-link fencing behind which guard dogs were posted, one of several such structures the team erected once they arrived, they noticed the dogs huddled together in abject terror. Hmm. These dogs were used as biosensors by the team, owing to their uncanny knack for knowing when something was up. But for several days after the calf's mysterious death, the dogs refused to leave the pen. Wow. They're like the birds. Hmm? They're like the birds in the... In the bird box. In the bird box, yeah. The dog box. (laughs) (laughs) Now, around 11 p.m. on March 10th, the next night, the dogs began barking horribly at something lurking at the far end of the pasture that no one could see. Tom and several members of the team who'd been in the Outlook post jumped into his battered old truck. As they approached the cobs of cottonwood trees at the end of the pasture, the truck's powerful spotlight beam fell onto a pair of glowing orbs situated among the branches, a massive pair of eyes reflecting the light back at them. No, thank you. Determined not to let whatever the hell it was kill one more fucking head of cattle, Tom hit the (laughs) brakes, got out of the truck, cocked his rifle, and took aim from behind the open driver's side door. Through the scope, he said he could make out a massive shape sitting in the tree. He fired. The eyes blinked out immediately, and a loud thud echoed from the base of the tree. Ah! Moving in closer to investigate, however, the team found fucking nothing. 
They spread out and waded into the tree line in a search party fashion. Tom suddenly was heard to shout, I see him, followed by two more shots. As the team rushed to his aid, they heard something large thrashing through the brush away from them, but whatever it was had disappeared entirely by the time they caught up with Tom, who insisted it looked like a fucking dog walking on its two hind legs. All they found were two large footprints 20 feet apart, both Ooh. with double claw indentations. It is the predator. It's fucking weird, and we're not done with that thing yet. We're going to see that thing again. Uh, one afternoon, Tom and Ellen, who'd sometimes come to the ranch to help him out, mm-hmm. uh, though she didn't like it. I bet um, she didn't. Uh, passed by a corral housing four, uh, four cow, four bulls, two black Angus and two uh, cemental, which are mm. very, very expensive. They're worth like several thousand apiece. Delicious. <laughs> they are delicious. <laughs> this does now, not they, bode well for they them were, <laughs> Well, right they were on their way. Uh, Tom and Ellen were just passing by this corral, and mm-hmm. they noted, uh, they were on the way to fix fencing. There's a lot of fucking fence fixing this to be done on lot, ranching, yeah. right? I mean, and just so they're in a, on the way. Growing up in the country, we mm-hmm. we had two and a half acres. My grandparents had ninety percent of five. your time is fixing fences. It's all fences. Yeah. Uh, so Especially they passed by with this pen and stuff like that. Yeah. On the way to fix this fence in their truck, and um, Ellen made some comment about how man these these cat these cow these bulls were like their prized possession, and she made some comment about how if anything ever happened to them, she would just be devastated. Which, oh God! <laughs> just fucking die. Why'd you jinx us, Why Ellen? Why? So about an hour Pinch later, Coke, you owe me a Coke, Alan. Hour or two later, after <laughs> after they had finished with the fencing, they came back by mm-hmm. the corral, and the fucking bulls were gone. Mm. But the corral was still locked. Nope. They cool. frantically get out to try to find what the fuck. Well, no, we cannot. This was like this was like what in today's market would have been like forty thousand dollars worth of. Right. Bull that's just gone. And so they look around and they're frantic about and finally, sometime later, they find in an abandoned trailer that was just off to one side in a field. Tom looked over in the inside of it from top because it was open up top and found that all four bulls were just standing as though in a trance, fucking shoulder to shoulder in this tight space. What? Just and the door was closed. And it had been wired shut and had been wired shut for ages. There were cobwebs on the inside that had not been disturbed. These mm. bulls were just fucking sitting here. That's and this is ornery bullshit. Well, and these bulls were in a trance because they would never have been standing this close to each no. other in such a confined Mm-mm. space. Not and bulls, no. When Tom uh, saw them, he shouted over to Ellen and that the noise roused them awake. They snapped out of it and they started freaking out and they busted out of the side of the trailer, uh, which they could do. And then it took them several hours to round them up and put them back in the pen. Uh, there is no way in hell they could have gotten in that trailer by themselves or that anyone could have put them in there right. because there were the cobwebs and the fact that it was wired shut and rusted. It was fucking crazy. The NIDS team investigated this because they called them over and they they told them what happened. They investigated the, the, the trailer. They also did a test of the corral bars and found that they were highly fucking magnetized. What? But that the uh, the effect diminished in a few hours. It's fucking weird, 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 weird. And it makes you wonder why. It's it seems like just to spite her. Oh yeah, or just to it's jo- like almost like, like oh, 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 you, you like those bulls, but not, do you? But not in. But they a, didn't kill them. Yeah, at least it, the bulls it, survived that one. Yeah, it wasn't in a. I don't know. It wasn't in a maybe a threatening way or maybe just a it was just fucking weird. with you way. It was like, yeah. welcome back, bitch. You know, yeah. you don't like it here, but you like these bulls. It's so fucking weird. That's what's mm-hmm. one of the oddest things about all this phenomenon is that it seems to follow 
a kind of trickster pattern like it's like almost like a poltergeist does like they take suggestions they're like okay it's like they're doing an improv show all right i need a place and a profession (laughs) (laughs) it's fucking weird activity activity right right? so uh now later the same month colm keheller was investigating bizarre tracks found on the ranch south side when he was suddenly overcome by a musky odor completely new to him despite by now being well acquainted with the various smells of this place he said the hairs on the back of his neck stood up and the the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up just And a chill ran down his spine. He could feel something watching him. Now, he dismissed it as his imagination. He was a man of science, and eventually both the smell and the feeling dissipated. Mm-hmm. But later, a partner of his that was out on the same pasture about 50 feet away from him at the time said, yeah, I felt the same fucking thing. The damnedest thing happened. My compass went fucking haywire, oh. and the needle started spinning, and it kept pointing in the direction that the smell seemed to be coming up. And then once the smell dissipated, it went back to normal. (gasps) Now, one night in early June. That's a stinky stink. This is a terrifying one. Oh, God. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. One night in early June, Colm and Eric Davis were staking out the homestead, which, of course, was one of the most active spots on the whole property, uh, when the dogs with them began to whine and cower at their feet. Now, Eric, who'd been scanning the tree line with night vision goggles, suddenly gasped and exclaimed, Jesus, there's something in the fucking trees over there. It's this huge black thing. Now, Colm could see nothing, but he focused his camera in that direction and began taking shot after shot, hoping to capture whatever it was on film. Eric told him it appeared to be moving somewhat north, and he couldn't tell whether it was in the trees or behind them. And all at once, he said in a muted, terrified voice, It's got me. It's (gasps) saying... It's saying, we are watching you. Oh, my God! He began muttering, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, to himself for moments on end afterwards, until finally he said the thing had moved away. He could offer no insight on what had just happened to him, aside from the fact that it felt like whatever the fuck it was had just been in his head. No. And was saying, we're watching you. Oh, my gosh. And And he was like, I'm leaving now forever. Eric had never had an experience like that before in his life, and it so rattled him that Colm noted for the rest of the week uh, that Eric was jumpy and distracted and, I bet. and did not want to fucking talk about it at oh all. Oh my gosh. Um, in fact, as my understanding, he had to be uh, coerced into l- l- putting it in the book. He mm. didn't, he's like, I don't want to keep my shit out there. It's like, too close, I don't want to, no, no. Uh, two months after this, in August, uh, two team members by the name of Mike and Jim would have one of the most jarring experiences to come out of the whole thing. Around 3.30 a.m., the two men were scouting a ridge that gave a view of the homestead below. Mike scanned the landscape through infrared binoculars, while Jim was taking readings from their field instruments. They were about to move on to another spot when Mike suddenly saw a light hovering in a pasture some 150 feet below. Oddly, Jim could only see a dull orb, but through Mike's goggles, he said the light was as bright as a full moon, hovering about three feet off the ground. Mike shouted excitedly that the light was glowing. It's not a light at all, he said. It's a tunnel. I can see through to the other side. Jim tried to take a look, but Mike, transfixed, wouldn't relinquish the goggles for fear of missing a moment of anything. To Mike's disbelief, a huge, featureless black figure was crawling down the tunnel on its knees and elbows toward them. No. It then spilled out of the opening and scuttled up the ridge faster than humanly possible, racing by them at incredible speed. Both men could hear the shale crunching loudly under its feet as it ran past. It then disappeared into the darkness without a trace. Just an eerie silence followed, along with that lingering, musky odor neither man could identify. 
Now, for all the corroborating experiences, by mid nineteen ninety-eight, the incidences begin incidences the incidents began dropping off rather sharply. And despite the despite the team's diligence, little in the way of definitive evidence emerged. Only photos of strange lights, many of those, and a wealth of credible eyewitness testimony, both from team members, neighbors, family. Mm-hmm. Um, one team member, retired Army Colonel John Alexander, observed in an interview much later that while it was clear some kind of precognitive sentient phenomenon was at play, the precise nature and ultimate source of that phenomenon lay wholly beyond their abilities to pin down. Eventually, the hard-edged advisory board back in Las Vegas thought it best to move on, and NIDS pulled the plug on their investigation in 2004. What? And everyone agrees... Something happened, but you can only what investigate something for so long before you got nothing. Like we yeah. have all this, we have all this evidence, but of what? Of what? We don't know what it is. Just There's no way is... to measure it. There's no way to do anything. And this team was really, really precise. There's also, I mean, and they, these are just these are just some of the more salient stories of mm-hmm. the whole thing because they were there for years. And they, I mean, the if you read it in the Hunt for Skinwalker, especially, um, they're. They're, they were so precise in their measurements, everything. I mean, this was a team of scientists that were trying really, really hard. They took this shit seriously, uh-huh. but they realized, like, it's only going to be taken seriously if we can, like, approach it like Document anyone, it. like we would approach splitting the fucking atom. Like, it right. has to be, it has to be this. We have to rule out everything it could be. And they were pretty fucking exhaustive. Wow. Uh, and yet... Hmm. This stuff still, still nothing, but it's it died down, and that's why they've moved. It on. died down, and they moved on. Now, since then, there are reports that things still happen there. Uh, somebody else owns the ranch now. I don't mm-hmm. know who, uh, but things still happen there. It's still that the Unita Basin is still a hot spot for UFO activity. <sighs> Legends of Skinwalkers still run right. strong, right? But for that seven-year period or so, uh, from 1994 to well, decade really, from 1994 to 2004, the ranch was real active. Wow. Yeah. So, if you live at the Skinwalker Ranch or near there, please send us your stories. Yes, please. <laughs> what? So that is the Skinwalker Ranch. That was amazing, one Michael. The, most, one of the craziest stories I think I've ever encountered. Yeah, where that it's one's, like everything. It's just like it doesn't it's know. nonstop. It's like a. It's almost like if this were a Hollywood movie, you'd are, you'd criticize that it just didn't know its tone. Like, right. what are you? Are Decide you? Decide on what you're doing. You're like the second season of American Horror Story. What, <laughs> are you about Nazi doctor, doctors, the devil, or fucking aliens? Make up which, your goddamn mind. Which is it? <laughs> yeah, because it's you know. Gosh, who knows? That's crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Michael. You're very welcome. That's I really hope you are good. now chilled sufficiently. I am so the outside chill doesn't freezing you quite so and much. chilled. <laughs> Both of these things. My nose is like an icicle. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I guess yeah. that's it. I know. I kind of want to go camping there now. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take lots of pictures and send them back to you. Wait. No, I'm going to go camping out nearby and just let my drone go over. Go over there. You yeah. lost me in the the first four words. Oh, the camping. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not going to go camping. There's got to be some nice, like, you know, cabins nearby with running water and electricity. That, and like, that's better. Basically, like, it's basically but like a home But then isn't it a cabin in the woods? Mmm, yeah. <laughs> but because we've seen Cabin in the Woods, we know what to do. That's true. Nothing. <laughs> don't take Just the bait. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Don't touch anything. Nope. <laughs> nope. And if we stop at a gas station on the way and someone goes, don't go, 
we'll turn cool. the fuck around. We'll Great like, advice. We are going to listen. I appreciate it. And I'm going to... Thank you. Here's a tip. Here's, <laughs> here's a couple bucks. Thank right. you. Go get you. yourself something nice. Right. But don't go to that cat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I guess that is all for today's episode of Ghoul Intentions. Uh, quite enough, I'd say. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you have not subscribed yes, yet. Subscribe, it's a good thing. Right, please go give us our, you know, our great reviews. And, yes, we need know, those reviews. We need those. You like us, let stuff. us know. Yes, and uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page, where <laughs> we will post images. Um, Instagram specifically will post inst- images of some of the stuff that we talk about yeah. and keep you updated on what's going on. Yes, go to ghoulintentions.com for links to our social media sites uh, to listen to previous episodes, of course. We got, we're up to how many now? 25. Oh my God, 25 I episodes. Know. It's like a quarter of a century. It is. <laughs> uh, you can shop uh, at our store, mm-hmm. which is cool. Keep shirts. sending in the pictures of the shirts. shirts. We love those. They're, they're so good. Uh, and y'all look so great to them. You, you really do. do. It's they a really good do. shirt. And most importantly, where you can submit your own story for consideration to be That's read right. as a code open on a future episode. Um, you'll find the form in the menu under submit your ghost story. It couldn't mm-hmm. be easier. And of course, you can also email, correct? You can email to... Uh, Ghoul Intentions Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. The submission thing's probably a little bit easier. And uh, if you want to send something that's maybe not a written story, but you just wanted to communicate something to us, um, both of those things like, will work hey, too. You should look into this. Yeah, because we will read story. stories. Uh, it's a cold open. We'll read them just as kind of conversational emails. So we get through a lot more now than we used to. So true. keep on sending those in. They Very have true. been. Wonderful. Oh, there's so much fun to read. Yes. At some point, we want to use all of them if we can. And for the record, I gasped 14 times. Yes! Yes. Yes! I did my job. Yeah. You gasped two over 12. That was great. And those were genuine gasps. They were. I felt so validated. Yeah, they were. I did so much research. I wasn't faking it. (laughs) There might be some in there that I didn't catch because they were quiet. All right, now let's see if I can gasp at at today's quote. Okay, are you ready? Mm, Sure. When life gives you lemons, just say, fuck the lemons and bail. <laughs> I don't know, but it's great. Yeah, it when life gives you lemons, just say, fuck the lemons and bail. I don't know. What is it? I have no, I have no idea what it's from. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. You know, I've never seen that movie. You haven't? I have never seen oh, it. You I'm should sorry. See I'm it. so ashamed. But that quote makes me want to watch it now. Yeah. Because that's really good. Yeah. When life hands you lemons, yeah, say fuck it and bail. Right, exactly. That's awesome. And it's, um, <laughs> um, um, he's been on my list since Clueless. Why did I just black out on his name? Um, he black out at his name? Blanked like, out on say his, his name? name. <laughs> say his name, Tom. And you're like, oh, uh, stop. Oh, if you. What, what's his name? I don't He's know. I've never seen it. I don't. Which, he, which one is he in Clueless? Which one is he in Clueless? Oh, uh, I fucking I don't know. Pa- Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Thank no. you. No. No. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Yes. 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 No. It's Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd. <laughs> in my head, I was like, I connected Paul Rudd to Paul Reiser, and I was like, Paul Reiser. From uh, Reiser. From what was it? Not uh, the married, bringing up baby the, something. No, it was some married, and it was the nineties. He wrote a couple books on raising a baby. He did. He did. Yeah, I know yeah. this because I worked at a bookstore at the time, and I'm like, well, huh, all the people who write a book about being a father. I mean, good on him, but right. I just didn't expect it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Sorry, he was in that okay. show with the uh, woman from Twister. 
Yes, Helen Hunt. No, I don't think it's Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Huh. It's um, well, maybe it is. We're so good with names right we're, now. <laughs> we're like, Bleh. we have all this information and about it, paranormal shit, but when it comes to like practical everyday knowledge, yeah. we're fucking. Just... And Paul Rudd is like, I've had a crush on him for a thousand years, oh and God. it helps because so he doesn't beautiful. age, so he looks the same. He's so as he beautiful. Did. He's so beautiful. And funny. He's the real goat sucker. That's how he maintains his. He's, he's, he's immortal because he, he. He is immortal. He is, and that's. I think it's because he, he and Keanu mutilates cattle. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Now we know. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> we love you, Paul. Allegedly. Allegedly. In our opinion. <laughs> Alright. Thank you guys. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.